Not that it matters, but most of what follows is true. Ready? No, we'll jump. Like hell we will. No, it'll be okay. If the water's deep enough, we don't get squished to death. They'll never follow us. How do you know? Would you make a jump like that and you didn't have to? I have to, and I'm not gonna. Well, we got to, otherwise we're dead. They're just gonna have to go back down the same way they come. Come on. Just one clear shot, that's all I want. Come on. Uh-uh. We got to. Up. Get away from me. Why? I want to fight them. They'll kill us. Maybe. You want to die? Do you? All right. I'll jump first. No. Then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid began sometime in the mid-1950s when William Goldman, who had never written a script but was already a published author, started reading up on the life of Butch Cassidy. That Goldman was even remotely curious about the famed outlaw is itself very curious. You see, Goldman did not like cowboys, the Wild West, or even horses. In fact, horses terrified him. And yet, there was something about the life of Butch Cassidy that proved magnetic. So much so that for the next eight years, Goldman found himself gravitating again and again to the life of a man whose legend extended far beyond the truth. But when you're writing stories, you make up the truth. Here is Goldman himself explaining the deepest truth he knows about storytelling. Nobody knows anything. Nobody has the least idea what's going to work. And screenwriters are the basis, I think, of everything. Because if you have a shitty script, even if you had Bergman or Fellini or David Lean, it's not going to work as a movie. It's all story. That's really all it is. If the story works, if the audience, if you're moved by whatever the goddamn story is, you have a chance to have a movie that works. What makes Goldman's decision to start researching the Butch Cassidy story even more curious was that by the time he started, it had already been put on film not once, but twice. The first was in 1951 under the title The Texas Rangers, where an outlaw serving a life sentence is given a second chance by the state governor. The film is so bad, the only reason why it is ever spoken of now is because of how Goldman told his story. The next one, The Three Outlaws, was made in 1956, and this time was set in Mexico, where Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid and Bill Carver aim for one last job. Again, that film is so bad, the only reason why it is ever spoken of now all of which goes to show that there are many, many ways of telling a story, and there are almost as many ways of telling it really, really badly. As if to prove this, Goldman initially aimed to write the story as a novel. Then a producer bought the rights to one of his other novels, and Goldman was hired to adapt that novel into a screenplay. And well, in the end, Goldman decided it would be best if he wrote the Butch and Sundance story as a script. So he took it upon himself to write the script on spec, which is to say he wrote it without any guarantee of payment, let alone a sale. He did copious research, and when he was done, his agent sold it for what was then and the astronomical and record-breaking sum of $400,000. If you're so inclined, it is available to download from the web, and while reading it is nowhere near as much fun as watching the film, the exercise is a very instructive one. What you notice is the manner in which Goldman structures an about-face in almost every scene. I think we lost him. Do you think we lost him? No. Neither do I. (laughs) 
All the beauty of the film comes from the words William Goldman wrote and rewrote and endlessly reshaped to fit the various actors who were considered at various points before the film was made. Initially, it was Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, but neither actor would yield top billing to the other, so eventually McQueen dropped out. Warren Beatty was offered the part, but he felt the picture was too close to Bonnie and Clyde, which only goes to show how cleverly the director of Butch and Sundance, George Roy Hill, handled Goldman's script. Put Bonnie and Clyde's script and Butch and Sundance's script side by side, you could easily see them heading in the same direction. But watch the movies back to back, and they are markedly different. Where Bonnie and Clyde is riotous, Butch and Sundance is affectionate. Where the former is sardonic, the latter is comedic. So, with Beatty saying no, George Roy Hill offered it to the then relatively unknown Robert Redford. Here is Redford himself. And I guess the beauty of the story, and to my fortune, Paul and the writer, and George in particular. George, George is the one that went to the mat for it. He said, look, it's my movie. I'm the director. And finally, as I understood it, they just kept beating him up, and he beat them up, and they kept forcing him to look at other actors. And they ran out of other actors. But get this. After Hill got his way, he decided then that the two actors should switch the roles. You see, until then, Newman was to play the Sundance Kid, whose real name was Harry Longbow. And while we're at it, Butch Cassidy's real name was Robert Parker. But anyway, as depicted by Newman and Redford, Butch and Sundance are the nicest outlaws you could ever put up in front of a judge. Together, their relationship is as flinty as it is tender, and they manage that delicate balance right through to the very end. I've got a great idea where we should go next. I don't want to hear it. Change your mind when I tell you. Shut up. Okay, okay. Your great ideas have got us. Forget about it. I don't ever want to hear another one of your ideas, all right? All right. Okay. Australia. I figured secretly you wanted to know, so I told you. Australia. Another great Western came out in 1969, and again, while they were very different, they also share some similarities. Sam Peckinpah's very violent and visceral The Wild Bunch also explores male bonding and also has its characters leave America and head south of the border. But where The Wild Bunch can be seen as an allegory for imperialism, Butch and Sundance, well, it's about friendship. Nothing more and nothing less. And let's face it, what's more meaningful than friendship? Butch? Hmm? Do you ever wonder if I'd met you first we'd been the ones to get involved? Well, we are involved, really, don't you know that? I mean, you are riding on my bicycle in some Arabian countries, that's the same as being married. Hey. What are you doing? Stealing your woman? Take her. Take her. Boy, you're a romantic bastard, I'll give you that. Other points of praise must include Catherine Ross, who made the most of what is admittedly a rather thankless role as the token girl. She has but one speech, and in it, she maps out the entire parameters of their lives. I'm 26, and I'm single and a school teacher, and that's the bottom of the pit. And the only excitement I've known is here with me now. So I'll go with you, and I won't whine, and I'll sew your socks and I'll stitch you when you're wounded, and I'll do anything you ask of me, except one thing. I won't watch you die. 
I'll miss that scene if you don't mind. Elsewhere, the cinematography by Conrad Hall is golden. He won his first of three Oscars for the film. Starting out in documentaries and television, Hall switched to feature films in the mid-60s and rapidly scaled the heights of his profession, not only because of his experience, but also because of his willingness to experiment. One of his signatures was flaring the lens. Before Hall arrived, allowing light to splash its rays across the lens in a diagonal display of little dots, that was considered to be a sign of ineptitude. But Hall not only made it a virtue, he extended the range in which light could be used as a form not just to illuminate the scene, but also to express it emotionally. The only thing that I'm not crazy about in the movie is the music. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those Sure, it is anachronistic, but no more so than any other score in any other Western. I mean, The Searchers, Dancing with Wolves, Unforgiven. They all use a musical form that simply did not exist in the time those stories are set. No, what needles is that the lyrics to the song Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head bear absolutely no relation to the story. And as for this other annoying musical interlude. Stop, stop it, stop, stop. As I said, the movie is about friendship. And one of the things about friendship is that we accept one another's flaws. So, we'll tolerate Burt Bacharach's music and celebrate William Goldman's script.